I was from, going from Colorado to LA, and he's mentioned, oh, hey, I have a podcast. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Well, I'll take a listen, see what's all about. Um, and then I just marathoned like 21 one-hour episodes. Um, <laughs> and it had a very lasting impact on me. And even though we started kind of a parasocial relationship, I wanted to uh, just kind of thank these guys in, in introducing them because I was always hoping to have conversations like these with other male adoptees, male Korean adoptees, um, and for them to kind of do that and create the, that space and have these conversations, whether they're um, <laughs> contextualized and, and planned out or if they're just kind of off the cuff. And uh, um, they, they created an opportunity for others to share their stories as well. And uh, I can't, you know, I, I can't thank them enough for being able to enable those conversations and have such an impact on me. And I hope uh, they get to have an impact on you. So without further ado, John Chi Show. You're listening to The John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean-American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean, American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Yeah! Beta LA, what is up? What is up? Guys, this is uh, this is incredible. Uh, thank you so much for, for having us out here. Um, for those of you who don't know, my name is KJ. This is Patrick. That's Nathan. We all use he, him pronouns. We are all from different parts of the US, which I found out many of you also are, which was surprising to me. I thought it was just like a West Coast thing. They're like, no, we like drive in from like Minneapolis. We flew in from DC. I was like, where did, what? What? This is wild. Um, so just so just so we know before uh, we get to, to ahead of ourselves, how many of you have heard the podcast before? Show of hands. Okay, okay. great. So nice. a lot, some, of, a some, some listeners, some, you have no idea what this is. Um, <laughs> So that's cool. Uh, so this is this is a live podcast recording. Um, so we're that's why we're we're doing this. Um, we are. Um, what does John Chi mean? Think, oh my god! Literally, <laughs> this is how the show normally goes. So you're oh, really starts. getting yeah, really getting the inside inside baseball. I have, I have notes. I've already broken the script. Um, yeah. So John Chi means to feast or to celebrate. Apparently, it also has been translated as banquet, uh, which we just found out. We uh, just learned that. If you see Janchi in the wild, it's usually in correlation to adult Janchi, which is like the first birthday, or uh, in correlation to Janchi noodles, which neither of us, of the three of us, none of us have had that. Uh, so we can't tell you if it's any good. Um, but the conceit of the show is we're here to celebrate, and we're here uh, to explore the intersection of what makes us Korean, adopted, American uh, men, if, if it's men on the show, uh, or you know, however else. We want to explore these intersectional identities. And then we also not only want to uh, celebrate those things, but also we try a Korean snack or drink item. Uh, because as many of us know, food is often the first entry point into uh, a, a different culture, and specifically for us, Korean culture. Uh, so that's 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 what it's about. Uh, what's what's next on the agenda? Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> so if you haven't listened to all 140 plus hours of the podcast, I don't blame you. Honestly, I don't think I have either. So it's, it's totally fine. Um, but just just briefly, um, I I guess 
it's important for us as a show to make sure that we tell stories from our own perspectives. Um, and we really try to center our voices and our perspectives in the storytelling process because a part of the mythology of adoption and being adopted is we're just given stories that we just have to run with, right? And we're just like, I don't know, I guess I was uh, born in Korea and adopted from this place and this is like, maybe my family celebrates Gotcha Day, whatever, right? But part of the conceit of our show is we want to speak from our perspective and do our best to only speak from our perspective. So even though uh, we're up here with microphones, we're really just three people with opinions. Um, and, and we want to amplify and uh, help other adoptees uh, use their voices in ways that resonate with adoptees, with uh, friends of adoptees, with adopters, uh, just broadly people. Um, so yeah, so my story briefly, uh, adopted from Korea, uh, from Daegu, I was in foster care in Seoul, uh, brought over in 93-ish, oh, I fell into the trap of my adoption narrative. Uh, I grew up in Dallas, um, was in the church for a long time, uh, not in the church um, anymore. Um, I'm a web developer, uh, and I do a podcast called The John Chi Show. Uh, Great. That's kind of that's it, though. I'm not a good follow on social media, uh, but I will talk to you. So if you want to <laughs> if you want to be friends, then uh, then yeah, let's do that. Liverpool, so, Liverpool Football Club. Liverpool Football Club. Yeah, 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 there you go. So And sometimes the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know. Whatever. No. It's fine. You don't have to. It's fine. Uh, okay. My, me? Yeah, you not? want me? Okay. Yeah. My story. Um, I was also adopted from Korea. What? And uh, Get out of town. <laughs> I grew up in rural Indiana. I also have a younger sister who was adopted from Korea, non-biologically related. Um, went to school at Purdue University. Dropped out of there real quick because I was hardcore rejecting my identity as an Asian person. There was way too many Asian people there. Uh, lived in Indianapolis for a long time, um, did a lot of moving around, was in San Diego for a little bit, um, was in Houston for a little bit, was in Chicago for a little bit, never stayed in one place too long, never worked the same job for too long. Um, again, rejecting my identity, rejecting everything that seemed too difficult. That's all I knew about my life. And eventually found my way back to Indianapolis. And one day I was watching the movie Always Be My Maybe with my wife. And one of the scenes in that movie made me think about, made, made something click in my head. And I looked over at my wife and I said, how am I gonna teach our kids to be Korean and navigate this world as Korean when I don't know what that means? And the very next day I found an Asian American podcast and the rest was history. Um, I now host this show and I host another show and I talk a lot. So You're very that's active on Instagram. He's a good follow on Instagram if yeah. you want that, so. Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> and you're married. Yeah, both of I said my wife. Oh, so yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Still married. Still, Still married. Still married. Uh, I am Nathan. I was also adopted from Korea. I know. Spoiler alert. Uh, that that's run its course. I am. <laughs> We're done with the joke, Nathan. I I like dad jokes. I am a dad of three. So if you've listened to the show, I have a lot of dad jokes. Um, I live in Denver, Colorado. I am. I was a photographer, still kind of am, but uh, mainly I work on the podcast. I'm also part of Con. I'm the co-chair for next year's uh, conference. Um, yeah, pretty much. I was raised in Oklahoma. Uh, I was actually adopted through Dylan Agency, which is currently closing. I have a non-biological sister, uh, and she was also adopted from Korea three years. Uh, she's three years older than me. Let's see, I have, uh, I don't know, I, that's been, I used to live here in L.A., actually, so I was yeah, here for like 20, 20 years. years. Yeah, yeah, 20 years, and then just three years ago, I moved to, to Colorado, so 
I know, uh, you know, I know the area. I'm happy to be back. And, uh, yeah, I do want to mention one thing, actually, now that I think about it. The one thing that's actually started my journey um, into the adoption space was uh, way back when, when there was a little uh, documentary called AKA Dan. And Dan Matthews, I got to go see it. And actually, when I was there, I remember meeting you. And that actually is what spawned my, uh, my journey. I decided, because there was a photo of your family that looked exactly like my family. Like, it was just this church photo of four people. And I just remember that's my photo. And that really made me just, I don't know, it, it, it connected me to the, the community and to just wondering what if. And so that's when I started doing some more research. My wife told me, he's like, maybe you should start looking. And so I, I looked into my you know, biological family and I am in reunion. So I have seven, uh, I'm the seventh youngest. So I have six siblings and I uh, still uh, you know, contact with them today, although limited because of course the language is difficult. But, I got a lot of reactions right there. You got to listen to episode one for the rest of that story. Yeah, just skip to the beginning for all of our stories. Yeah, yeah for you all know, of our full-length stories. Yeah, yeah. before we knew, it's a very structured show in the beginning. It's lost all sense of structure, as you're probably experiencing right now. So, yeah, we tried really hard in the beginning, and we were like, you know what? No. Yeah, so we've been doing the show for three years now, over 100 or 141 episodes as of last Wednesday. And... Um, we're going to talk about the way that the show has changed, specifically the language and how the language that we've used and developed as adoptees has changed. Um, before we get into that, though, I think we should talk about the origin of the show. And yeah, you I messed up the order. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. But again, unstructured. We don't know what we're doing. Um, but you told a very succinct version of our origin story earlier today, and I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you to tell that story again. Yeah, so the, the how and why of the podcast, um, when, when Patrick had his like moment of like, oh, God, I'm Asian, and I don't know what to do about that, and he, he searched Asian American podcasts, he found a podcast uh, called Dear Asian Americans that I, too, had coincidentally stumbled upon. Uh, and so we both kind of applied uh, to be on that, and, uh, and the host, Jerry, was like, oh, here's two Korean adoptees. And and actually, I know Nathan, uh, and so he's like, "Y'all wanna, y'all wanna meet? You, you wanna like be friends?" And this is like deep, deep quarantine era, so we're like, "I mean, yeah, nothing else is going on." Uh, and so we met, and it was like, I mean, it was it was weird. It was really, imagine, really awkward. Imagine all the awkwardness of like a middle school dance, except you're three, four adult men. <laughs> so that was cool. Uh, <laughs> and then at the end of that, Jerry was like, "Y'all wanna start a podcast?" And we were like, "I mean, I guess." Uh, and so then we started a podcast and then, so we recorded, uh, virtually a whole year, uh, and it didn't meet until LA the next year. Uh, yeah. so that was, that was the origin of the show. But one of the things that we, like I said at the top, like we have learned what we want out of the show, right? To center our stories and, and to, to center our experiences and give us control of the narrative. Like Jason Chu, who, give it up for Jason Chu. Cause yeah, Jason that Chu was, one time. is he still here? <laughs> yeah. He ain't here. He, he told me he, he had to here. leave anyway. So All right, that's thanks fine. Jason. But, uh, his, <laughs> His talk really sets up what we want to do because it was all about being Asian American, which we echo that language of it being an opt-in identity. But tonight we want to talk about uh, the language of adoption. Um, but one of the things that, that we examined as we were t talking about what, it, what we wanted our podcast to be was that all of the, the existing media to us just... No, having no previous encounter with it. We were like, I don't know, it, it like feels very serious, it feels very heavy, which so many of our stories are serious and they are heavy and they do deserve to be treated with care and respect and those kinds of things. I was like, also, I mean, I have the benefit of like having a decently good adoption experience until 2020 generally when my whole world flipped upside down and I was shipped off to Bel Air. But anyways, uh, 
so generally I've had a good experience yes. and there are things to things to celebrate and, and fun to be had, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of hardship. And so we wanted to, to provide a space where people, adoptees could come and share their stories and be honest about the things that were hard, but also find ways to celebrate, find ways to laugh and make sure that, that always we were um, just having fun and having, having a good time. Because I think that in the midst of just being like, oh, adoption, trauma, I don't know, it's hard. There's so many things to celebrate. And we just felt like uh, that was a, a a space that we could enter into so that's the that's the how and why of the podcast and we also changed it a little bit too whereas the beginning we wanted uh, you know we wanted to interview adoptees we wanted to hear their stories and so we would start with you know what is your adoption story later we actually changed it a little more because you know we want to hear your story what do you want to talk about what does the guest want to talk about we don't want it if you don't want to talk about adoption tell us about your job tell us about your life your upbringing you know things like that so we tried to make it more open and whatever the guest wanted to talk about. We wanted to hear the guest's voices. We wanted to hear their stories. And that's why now we just say, tell us your story. As little or as much as you want. Sometimes it's short, sometimes it's long, but uh, it's, 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 it's great. I mean, it's important. That's what we, why we do this. I mean, I think that's what we learned through storytelling and listening to people share is that, you know, a lot of times for us as adoptees, we get pigeonholed into only talking about adoption. Mm -hmm. When somebody asks us who, who we are, who are, where we come from specifically, for us as Asian people, like we have the extra baggage of having to then explain that, oh, I was adopted. I don't speak Korean. I write any, any, uh, any of the language of origin that is my own. We have to then unpack all of that because we're expected to explain to them. And then for me, it's like, oh, well, have you been back to Korea? Well, why not? Well, have you searched for your birth family? Well, why not? Don't you want to search for them? Well, why wouldn't you want to do that? Don't you know about Korean culture? And when I'm not the expert on that, they become the experts and tell me all of the things about Korea I'm supposed to love and know. Which they usually have started with, so were you adopted from North or South Korea? And you're like, come on! 100%. It's like, come on, man. Yeah. Why do we get that question so often? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, well, it's because a, a lot of systemic things, but we, we're not going to get into that. I said I don't understand. <laughs> now is not the time to tell me. Yeah, but, I mean, that's what we want this show to be today, and hopefully we're able to talk to you all about that as well, you know, in the ways that, the language that you use, the the way, the ways. I told, the language we lose. I told you I was going to get my bad talk out <laughs> earlier. It is still here with me. Um, the ways that your language has evolved in your adoptee journeys as well, and that's what we're going to talk about for us, the ways that it's changed and one or two of the pieces of language that have evolved in the different ways that we have evolved with the show over the last three years. So, Nathan, I'm going to turn to you and start with you first. Oh, wait, you want to do something else? No, I was just saying, do you want to start? We, we were having some things come in. The first uh, question that we actually just put up, oh, just because yeah. we want to hear. We got stuff. We, wanna, right. we want you guys to be involved as well. So, um, it's one word or phrase to describe your adoptee experience. We just throw out some words. Uh, I just want to see what starts coming up here, and I'll start. Uh, I'll start uh, reading them off. For so far, we have duality, beautiful, complicated, loss. Oh, complicated is coming in a bunch. Confusion. The thing is getting big. <laughs> Confusion. Many upvotes. Misunderstood. Grief. Yeah, and I think it's so important, like one of the reasons that we picked this topic for tonight and why I, I'm so grateful that Jason talked about what he did was as we talk about reclaiming our stories, as we're talking about pushing for representation, it's really hard to advocate for ourselves when we tell other people who might be allies, like, yeah, I just want to see the, the thing where I feel and then, you know? And they're like, no, I, I don't. I don't understand your experience. And it's it's so difficult, I think, to 
advocate for yourself when you don't have the language to express what you're going through you don't have the language to express uh the the transracial aspect of many of our adoptions you don't have the language to express like just the way that that those things turn on a dime and you just find yourself in no man's land where at 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago you're like no i was so assured or up until you were 20 years old, 30 years old, even 60 years, 60 years old. You're like, I knew who I was, and then suddenly I don't know who I am anymore. And so that's what we really hope to explore tonight is the language that helps us express ourselves to people who may not be fluent in being an adoptee. Okay, Nathan, I want to start with you because as I see these words coming in, mm -hmm. I'm just like really, really intrigued about all of the different ways that we think about our experiences. And... Our experiences are so different, even though we all share this common foundational element of being adopted, of, of adoption, they are also different. And there are things that combine us. We all have similarities that we have experienced. So Nathan, talk about the language that you have developed and how that's changed for you, because I think yours is very much in line with all of these different things that are popping up on the screen. Yeah, and thank you so much for everyone who's who's submitting some words here. I mean, this is, uh, I'll go over a few of these uh, here in a second, but uh, I mean, this is something that the show has taught me that after 141 episodes, I'm still learning. Every day, I am still learning. Every uh, every episode, when we talk with each other, every uh, guest that we talk to, uh, the events that I go to, I'm always learning something. And it's it's still it still amazes me that after all the interviews that we've had too, that, that you see similarities, you see things that that uh, that have like uh, you know similar points, but then there's something that's different, something unique, something special. Um, and really love that. One of our recent guests, uh, Nicole Bury, actually, when she was talking, she made some comments, and one of the things that, that she taught me was that I used to apologize for being adopted, and, and, I, and I hated that. After I learned that, I was like, oh, why, did I, why, why would I do that? And even my wife has said, I've said that about you too sometimes. I used to say, I'm Korean, but I'm adopted. And I use that word, that but, and I and I, I need to change that. And so from then on, I'm changing it. I'm adopted. I'm Korean, and I'm adopted. I'm I'm more proud of it now from um, just the stories that I've heard from the people that I've met, and just you know that's what really makes it special is learning still, you know, to this day, and also just growing and not being ashamed of it. So. Thank you for sharing that. Hell yeah! I can see you getting a little emotional right there. I appreciate that. Um, what are you looking at? <laughs> what? Kemp, what are you talking about over there? He looked at me. Your memory card's full. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, on camera. I figured that would happen too sooner or later. It was just that's for a Anyway, it's fine. We don't do video content anyway. Do not watch our YouTube. Yeah. But please subscribe to our YouTube. It's all B-roll. Um, <laughs> <laughs> please like and subscribe on the videos you'll never watch. Um, something, I appreciate you share that. Something you just said is just stuck in my mind. You talk about being proud of this experience of yours. But I think the word pride is very interesting and I think my relationship with that word and adoption and that entanglement has evolved for me over this three years. Because I don't think that I was ever proud of being adopted or of my adoption story, but I was always really contented with it. And I was always proud, I don't, I don't know if I was ever proud of anything in my life because I was so deeply in rejection of who I was I always thought I was white, essentially. I, I feel like I've had that conversation with a few people here in, in the group today. And it was really, really difficult to come out of that. Even if, even as I was, 
escaping my super conservative small town and finding myself aligning and resonating with a lot more liberal values and viewpoints, finding myself feeling like I wanted to be an ally and advocate for LGBTQ community or the black community, especially as Black Lives Matter started to really pick up steam. But I never found myself resonating or even wanting to consider or be comfortable with being Asian and connecting with the Asian community. I was never proud of being Asian. It was uncomfortable. It made me feel sick, to be honest, to, to be that, because when I looked in the mirror, I hated the person that I saw in the mirror. And so as I've went on this journey of, and as I've come to consciousness about my identity, the, the relationship that I've had with pride has really, really changed. And while my relationship to what I think about adoption has changed, because I personally fucking hate adoption, um, my relationship to my identity as an adoptee and the pride that I have to have that identity and be a part of that community has grown leaps and bounds. Because as I have met y'all and built community with the people in this room, uh, a lot of folks who I finally got to meet in person at Khan this year and in Korea at ICA this year, shout out to everybody that was able to attend those things. Um, like. Those moments uh, this past year made me really proud to be in this community. And while it, like the circumstances that brought us here and put us in these, in the situations that we're in really suck. And there are a lot of issues that we have to resolve regarding those things. There, like KJ said, you know, there are things that we can celebrate because we can celebrate the individuals that make up our community. And while we, do a lot of amazing things. The people that run this organization, AKA SF, are amazing individuals who can do something like this to bring this type of people together to put this event on. Like we should be celebrating that. And it's not because we're here to just bond over trauma either. It's because, damn, we can look around the, the room and see all these beautiful faces, all these beautiful people and be like, I, I'm proud to be a part of this community. And this goes beyond just our racial or ethnic identities. And it goes to something deeper because we're bonded by something deeper than that even. You know, we, we learned a lot from Jason today. And as much as that is necessary for us to be a part of and to learn about, to understand our history and our place within the Asian diaspora widely and Asian America specifically, to we are connected by something even deeper than that. And that's our adoptee identities and our experiences as adoptees. So that's, I don't know, that you just made me think of that when you were talking about that. So thank you. Yeah. I second that. Yep. Um, <laughs> hey, Patrick, you said something while you were talking about your reaction to being proud of being an adoptee. You said coming to consciousness, uh, which is a language that we've developed, uh, that you've developed on the show, but probably many who have not listened to, again, an obscene amount of hours uh, of the podcast. <laughs> probably over a million. Aren't, <laughs> over, yeah, verifiably not, but maybe over a million hours. Uh, yeah, they probably aren't familiar with that. So can you explain what you mean by coming to consciousness? Sure. So I use the term coming to consciousness to talk about this experience of moving out of the fog. And so we, uh, when I first came into the community and started to explore my identity and found different groups and different people and heard these conversations, I heard this term coming or this phrase coming out of the fog a lot. I heard it over and over and over again. I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And at the end, of, I mean, how many people have heard of this specific term? Coming out of the fog. Coming out of the fog. Yeah. Okay. I see pretty much everyone's hands. So um, I like the language 
And then I learned where the language came from. And so if you don't know, uh, that language comes from the book, The Primal Wound. It was coined by a white adopted mother, the author of that book, Nancy Verrier. And that book is really pivotal and foundational for a lot of adoptees. And it resonates with a lot of people um, because it goes into, it talks about these really hard conversations. However, when I found out that was who wrote it and the person who wrote it, and I have nothing against Nancy at all, um, I was like, that didn't sit right with me because it's not our language. We didn't, we didn't create that. And I wanted to figure out how do we create our own language to describe this experience. And so I think KJ will probably talk about it, but on one of our episodes, he coined this phrase, the adoption apocalypse. And I'll let him define it, but <laughs> I really like that. And I was like, oh, that's a great way to describe it because like, when you go through an apocalypse, like, your world changes forever. And for me, like, the apocalypse, like, you, can either you, can, you can enter in the apocalypse as much as you want, or you can, you can venture into the wasteland as much or as little as you like. You know, tell your story as much or as little as you like. And while I, and I, I really resonate with that language and I like to use it, I feel like it's, it's very, it's just rooted in metaphor. And, and for me personally, I was, I'm, I was still searching for something. And so probably, I don't know if it was almost a year ago, uh, a study came out about the adoption or adoptee consciousness model. Um, scholars... J. Ron Kim, Grace Newton, uh, Susan Bronco, I'm forgetting two people, and I really apologize to them if they're listening to this, uh, but want to credit them, linking it in the show notes, click in the show notes if you want to check that out because it's free. Um, but I read this, and I just really resonated with the idea of coming to our own consciousness. And like, and it's not an awakening, but it's like, it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know any other way to describe it, but just becoming conscious of our own identity, our own experience, and again, reclaiming that thing for ourselves. And so that's when I started to use that language. And I loved it because like, it was created and coined and rooted in people who have been doing this work that I looked up to when I started this journey for a long time. And I think something that I've really learned as we've done this show and as I've been on my own journey is that for us as adoptees, it's really, really important to recognize the folks who have been doing this work for a really long time. 100%. I think it's really easy when we first come to consciousness to be, to, to be just so in our own space because it's like our journeys are so individual and it's like, Yes, I'm telling my own story for the first time. I have the pen. I'm the author now. This is amazing. And we like we develop our own language. We talk about these things and we're and we're telling our stories and if we don't find community, if we're not like connecting with the right resources or any resources, it can be easy to miss the people who have been doing this or learn about the folks in the communities and the organizations that have existed for a really long time. And so like that's something that's really important to me is recognizing those folks and those organizations that have existed because when we do things now, we should understand that we're not building something anew and we're not, we don't need to build laterally. We are building upon the foundations of the adoptees who have come before us and who have existed here since not just the 50s when Korean adoptees were coming over here, but 
for black children that were forcibly removed during enslavement, for indigenous children that were forcibly removed during genocide and all of that that was happening during colonization. Like we are not just part of this group that, it, that came about in the 50s. We are part of something much, much larger that has existed for a long time and we have to recognize those people and that's where we're developing this language. So it's important for me to recognize that and name that we have developed language not out of thin air, but off of the work that has come from folks that have been doing the work for a long time. Yeah, yeah, and I think that it's so important too. Um, you know, earlier this afternoon when we started the session and we were invited to to consider um, the people who aren't here and our ancestors. My gut reaction was, well, my head reaction was like, I don't have ancestors, I'm adopted, but. My heart and my body was so emotional in that moment. And I'm sure you've experienced where your head thinks one thing and your body reacts a totally different way, right? Like that your body can hold on to trauma, your body can can express things like, you know, it's the just your head and your heart not not connecting. And and that was a moment for me where I was like, oh, but there are these ancestors. These are there are these people who I can think about. And especially like like Chuseok is coming up, big Korean harvest festival at the end of the, the month. And a, again, a time to honor your ancestors. And like, while like socially in Korean society, we might not have ancestors like as adoptees, as Asian Americans, as, as people, of course we have ancestors. Of course we have people who have gone before us. Um, and, I, and I was just so slapped in the face by that moment in such a profound and a wonderful way and it really set the tone for me one of the words that there was some of the language that i've uh experienced from like a, a previous like an older wave um korean adoptee that we had on the show glenn maury was his term self-racialization and he does he has this incredible project that we kind of model ourselves after he has a side-by-side -side project where he just interviews korean adoptees right i'm sure many of you i've seen a head nod so some of you may be aware of it but go to sidebysideproject.com wow. yeah, yeah. Maybe dot, dot com. We'll put it in Google the show notes. It. It's, it's in the show notes. Uh, and you can watch those those videos. But talking with him, I think he was maybe the first or the second of like an older generation of Korean adoptees. And, and we, have, we also say like we're not ageist on the show. We are age aware. And I think that that's really that's important to be age aware. Like you can't be you can't have intersectional conversation without being aware of the things that make up your identities. Right. And so. And just that 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 word self-racialization meant a lot to me because unlike Patrick, I grew up with my parents teaching me uh, to celebrate my ethnic Koreanness and totally disregard any sense of Asian Americanness. My parents, who are very well-meaning uh, and raised me the best they could, just didn't have the framework. Maybe probably still don't have the framework to understand what it means to be Asian American. What it means, I mean, it's such a new term, but, but especially for them, they're, they're conservative Christian white folks who live very radically and like, even though like the words they use are very conservative, like their actions are so meaningful, so loving, so like whole, like exactly what you would really want it to, to be in a perfect society, except we don't live in a perfect society, right? And so that idea of self-realization was important to me because as I, as I started my journey with this podcast, that's exactly what I felt. I knew what it was like to be Korean. I knew what it was like to celebrate my own Koreanness, and I had no idea what it meant to be Asian American and what it meant to live in that space. And I've heard uh, just in the chatter and, and in the conversation we've had, you know, like usually it's the moment that you leave for college or the moment that you escape the protective shroud of your adoptive parents that you and you have to stand on your own two feet. That you're like, oh, 
I people don't see me as just so and so's child. People see me as an Asian person, and that has unique consequences. And many of us weren't prepared for those consequences, and weren't prepared for how to deal with those things because our parents may or may not have been equipped to to give us that. So self racialization was a term that for me is like that moment that I was aware of being Asian American, although my opting into that identity came after I really understood what it meant, after I had listened to The Making of Asian America by Erica Lee, like after I had spent some time really in it. I mean, honestly, after August, August? No, April uh, 2021, after Atlanta. Oh, yeah. um, March. March, yeah. That was when I opted into being Asian American. But self-racialization was a big term for me. But the the other thing that you alluded to, the, the moment of apocalypse, I love... The, the language of adoption apocalypse because so like this is going to get like a little Christian and a little theological for a hot sec but just hang on for a second so the book of revelations right uh, is literally called that because like Greek apparently ancient Greek apocalypse it literally means revelation right it means like a moment you're given a vision and like your whole world changes right it's not like the end of the world although these days it kind of means the end of the world and I kind of love that <laughs> I love the baggage of apocalypse for what I went through because to me a world did end. Like, I, I experienced something in 2020, and everything I thought I knew about myself died. And I had a vision about what my life was going to be going forward. Uh, and it was a lot of fear, and it was a lot of being scared. It was realizing that even though I had been married for five years at the time, we had just begun an interracial marriage for the first time. Um, and so, yeah, so I love the term, the term apoc apocalypse because in a moment I was given a new identity and I had to wrestle with how that was going to play out and who I wanted to be and something died. Uh, but it wasn't like, it wasn't anything tangible. It was just, I was given a, a wake up call basically. And then after that, I just had to figure out there was just like, there's pre-apocalypse and there's post-apocalypse and the apocalypse happened. Right. And so I just, there's. So that's how I define myself these days. As an adoptee, I was like, there's pre-apocalypse KJ and there's post-apocalypse KJ. And what you guys have the benefit of seeing is hopefully a better 3.0 version of post-apocalyptic KJ, which is hopefully more more cool or more hopeful than it sounds. I don't know. It sounds like You're pretty dark cool. and gritty. Dark and the Batman version of KJ. No, I don't, I don't want to be that, though. I'm, I'm, just a, I'm just here to make jokes. So, uh, yeah. I didn't hear a single joke in there. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I quit! Speaking of jokes, no, he was saying age-aware. We always joke about it because I grew up. I mean, we're sincere. I mean, I, we're sincere about that. We're, we're joking about the ageism. The ageism is a joke. Oh, okay. I mean, we, it <laughs> sure. hits like a joke. I, I grew up in the age of Encyclopedia Britannica, so. <laughs> right? <laughs> See? These are my people. I'm here for it. <laughs> Again, we're age-aware. That's yeah. fine. It's totally Yeah, we're fine. not ages on the show, Nathan. Tr yeah, quit come trying on, to kick me off. This is in person. It's okay. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I feel like we just had really good conversation. I kind of don't. I want to go to the audience more. I want to hear. Yeah. I want time to start. I feel like you gave us a lot of good words, and I want to unpack some of that. But I also want to hear some questions that you might have or comments about your experience and how you've navigated language and how that's changed. Because I think we're all in lots of different places right now. And I don't know. I Like Jason said before, you know, I want it to be open dialogue and not so much us sitting up here talking at you, even though that's literally what a podcast is. Um, <laughs> we're going to change the format up because it's a live show. And so if you want to submit a question, please go ahead and do so now and we can get into it that way. Or if you have a question out loud. Or if you have a question out loud, we will run a mic to you. Oh, we have a question right here. Oh, nice. Um, 
Eric is on it. Also, Eric wait, is on it. Can, is is now snack time? Do we, we can do snacks now. Wait, let's take this question and then we'll figure our, our yeah. Our we're gonna do out. this question. Welcome to the hot mess that is the John Cena show. <laughs> Yay! Where's the question? <laughs> right in front of you. <laughs> okay. Wow. Rude. I was just curious for those of you who grew up with another Korean adoptee sibling. How often did this come up in conversation for you? I mean, were you able to support each other, or what was that like? Yeah, I, I've asked that question uh, to a couple of our guests as well, and it's it's funny. We always have a very similar answer, and it's not that much. We, we really have not talked about adoption. I mean, we didn't have – this whole thing is about language, and we didn't have the language at that time. We were so young. We were, we were just – trying to be kids we were you know developing uh trying to fit in uh and we never had that conversation i mean we we maybe discussed like bullying or race racial you know um events or microaggressions and things that we ran across but we didn't know what those were we just thought oh they're picking on us because we're different and and so that for us my for my sister we never really talked about it i did have my sister on the show um she was in uh i think she's somewhere in the episode 40s or something. I can't remember her name. I should remember which, we don't which know. episode you number, don't know. but uh, her, Amy Sherman is her name. So you can look it up. But uh, she said a few things that, that I was not aware of during this interview. And this is after 40 plus years of, of being, you know, brother and sister. And all of a sudden we're in this interview and she, she said a few things that, that really surprised me. And uh, so sometimes it, maybe it just takes a podcast or it takes, you know, a moment to, to discuss it with, uh, with your, your sibling. And was, I mean, yeah. Also, I've heard growing up helps because oh, like being yes. a teenager is hard. <laughs> Middle school is hard. Life is hard. So yeah. yeah. Maybe once you get past all of that, you're like, Hey, so what about this adoption thing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My sister and I never talked about it. We didn't even talk about race stuff or bullying, which I know we both experienced. Um, so my sister is a year and a half younger than me, but even though we were only that far apart in age, we were four years apart in school. So we never overlapped except for one year. And so we really didn't even develop like a relationship. When we were really young, I was like, I guess really attached to her. Like I would hold her all the time. I would always want to be around her. And then as I really started to lean into the rejection of my identity, that changed. I didn't know that was changing, but that's what happened. And even after I left for college and she went and did her own thing, I was like, we wouldn't, we never had those conversations until I also had my sister come on the show. And like, I had been coming, going through this, have going through this experience. And, and, you know, my sister also said a few things that, uh, um, you know, I was like, oh, okay. Like that actually makes a lot of sense. And okay. So yeah. So, uh, uh, an example of just how deeply in rejection I was and how we weren't having these conversations. So when I was living in San Diego, my sister had just graduated from college, was visiting a friend in LA. And I was like, okay, let me come up and visit you for a day. And we did. We went and did a bunch of stuff. We were on Sunset. We went to Griffith Park, went to the observatory, did a lot of fun things, touristy things. And we left. And or then I left and she went and did her own stuff. And then three, five years later, where I'm on this journey. She comes on the show, and in the second episode that we ever did, I tried kimchi for the first time. And it was great. I'm like, oh, I love kimchi. This is cool. I really, really like this. My sister comes on the show and informs me that during this trip to LA, I had actually tried kimchi because we went to a Korean restaurant and I had eaten it. I had eaten a Korean meal. I literally cannot remember that memory. I have no memory of it. 
that's how deeply it's kind of making me emotional to talk about it because that's how deeply I was rejecting that part of myself. I can't access that memory. And so it kind of sucks. Uh, I'm all, cause I'm like, I really wish I could remember that. And I was like, I must've, did I like it? Did I hate it? I can't even think about like what, what it was like, but like, I couldn't even talk about it as adults until I went down, started to go down this path and explore that identity, started to develop the language, started to meet other adoptees who had already done this work and was able to help me find that part of myself and access that. But even to this day, having done this work, I can't access that memory. So it's still, we're still figuring it out. We're still developing that relationship, still trying to have those conversations and it's, it's working. It's, it, you know, it takes time, but uh, it, it was hard and we didn't talk about it. So thank you for that question. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, we want to take more questions, but we're, so let's do, okay. let's do snacks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We have a, a question that came in. Okay. Says, what's the question? Do you think you would ever add a female host co-host? Oh, Oh, Hey, Okay, so I'm gonna start <laughs> answering this question and then we'll we get just, to you. We just so. had like six volunteers all of a sudden raise their hands. Um, it's like, whoa, okay, we got a Hunger Games, Junchi Hunger Games. Okay. So in our awkward first meetings, when we were starting to develop the show, one of the first things that we talked about was, do we really want three straight cis dudes talking about this? Like, isn't there enough straight dudes talking about stuff? And <laughs> yes, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. You're I'm absolutely so over right. it. Amen to all of that. Um, I will say this. So, and this is, I, okay, I'm not even going to try and justify it. Um, we had, so we we were very privileged to have J. Ron Kim on the show, Joy Lieberthal Rowe on the show. And they both told us, unprompted at the end, that they really, they appreciated us doing the show as three male hosts. Because in this space, there is not that much of that. And so one of the reasons that we do the show this way and what we hope to do as this is to model for specifically folks who share our identities what it's like to be able to share and tell in stories and to, and to do that. And it doesn't mean that we would not welcome other people and other of other identities to come on the show and to be guest hosts. We had, we've actually had guest hosts on the show. Yeah. Now that I'm remembering because <laughs> we've done 140 episodes and I forget yeah. that we do that sometimes. Casual. But... Um, or and, not but, and, that is, that's the affirmation for me specifically that it's like, okay, this is one of the reasons that, maybe not okay, but one of the reasons that we do the show the way that we do it is because the folks that have been doing the work have not given us a pass, but have said that this is something that our community needs. And so we operate in that way because the community needs it. Um, I don't know, what do you all think about that? What, what do you think? Like me and Nathan? What yeah. do you think about it? <laughs> what do you think about it? Nathan, do you have thoughts? No. I, everything, <laughs> honestly, everything you said. Uh, Excellent I, yeah, podcasting. I, I got nothing. I got nothing. Okay, great. Thanks, uh, Nathan. No, I mean, again, like, yeah, deeply aware of, like, that cishet energy bring, <laughs> bringing to the show. Yeah. Uh, and I think it, to your point, like, we did have some people be like, oh, it's really unique to hear three male adoptee voices talking about this. There are other podcasts who have female hosts on the show and again i think in the interest of like let's not build against let's build with is like we're we're trying to fit in a space where we felt like maybe our community at large would benefit 
from having a slightly different take on things. Not yep. that, again, not that anyone needs more straight male energy right. in their life, but like, I just think that it's, 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 a, it's a unique thing because like even in my own learning and unlearning, I hope that I can be a model for like a well-meaning white dude, I don't know, to like, to be, what, is it, what does it look like to enter into a conversation with emotional intelligence, with active listening, to learn about uh, an identity that they don't have, to learn about, like, to have all those things, because I, I like to think I'm good at listening, I like to think I'm good at asking questions, and I hope that by doing the podcast I can model for maybe the part of the world that needs the most help, I don't know, don't quote me. Uh, how arrogant about, of you. Mm, about like well how can we enter into these conversations and amplify and actually set aside our own egos and, and whatever and amplify other voices and enter into those conversations with grace with humility uh to to yeah to help uplift and help help learn and help i don't know just be a good ally to so many other people who need to be listened to way more than we do so but thank you for listening please continue to listen <laughs> and thank you for continuing to send in some questions here but remember if now you that would your like to full of snacks if you would yeah <laughs> if you would like to verbally ask us a question feel free we do have the, oh, the we got a question over here and we will also get to these Microphone ones that stage, have been right? written <laughs> what do your adoptive parents think about this show ooh good question <laughs> um I think, briefly, I have no idea if my parents still listen, uh, or if my mom still listens, honestly. When I started the show, uh, we, I mean, she, she listened because we started the show, and she was like, oh, you're doing a thing, and I didn't live, I lived in Springfield at the time, and she was still in Dallas, uh, and then I went back uh, for Christmas, and we had a long conversation, and basically, she was like, you know, I don't think our politics align anymore, and I was like, that's fair. Uh, and then we had a further conversation around how I was trying to use my disability as a parallel for my adoptee identity and what I was going through. I don't know that it came off super well because honestly I'm still kind of wrestling through what this whole adoptee and Asian American identity means for my disability identity. So it's like it's a weird whatever. But the short answer is I don't think they listen anymore and I think they're just like, he's doing a thing. Cool. So and they're generally supportive of like this even if they don't agree, even if they don't, you know, whatever. They're just, they're like bully for you so that's what that's what my parents are at i don't know if my dad i don't know yeah my parents uh, they don't listen to every episode they occasionally jump uh, jump into an episode if if it's something that uh, i tell them hey this is a good episode you should listen to it but hey, my they, sister was on this episode yeah, my sister was on this one, you might want to listen to it so she's gonna feel left out no um they're very supportive of the show and literally sometimes when I'm together with them and we're with like another uh, old family friend or something like that, they always mention it to the family friend. They always say, hey, this is what Nathan's been doing and, and he's really, you know, the, the, the impact that he's having and I think just the stuff that they say um, to their friends in front of me. It shows that they're supporting me and they're supporting what I'm saying and what I'm doing and and everything that they they send me articles still that they see online like just and some some sometimes it's really random. Last week they told me, oh, there's this article about how great uh, Korean food is in New York and how it's uh, becoming one of the top <laughs> the top Korean the top uh, high quality food, right? Yeah, and so they were they tell me about those kinds of things and it's uh, but they're listening. I know, uh, you know, every once in a while, so. Always comes back to food with you. Yeah, always, <laughs> always comes back to, back to food. Always back to food with this um, one. I don't know if my dad listens to the show. My mom has listened to every episode. Um, so my parents, like I think a lot of people's and ours as well, 
we were for a long time not very aligned. We I have a super positive adoption experience, but like in 2016, my parents voted for Trump. Like we were super hardcore on opposite ends of the political spectrum. They had a picture of Trump hanging in their living room window. I, anybody who's conservative, I, I'm just saying. I was at the time. I'm like, I can't come home. Like I'm, and I did, I thought that was going to be the split. And this was pre-consciousness for me. Um, so after I came to consciousness and I started the show, I like told them, you know, like this is what I'm doing. And, um, we weren't really having conversations after Atlanta happened. We recorded an episode where I was very upset and I just basically went on a 30 minute rant and these two sat and listened to me. I mean, it's a good one though. You um, should listen. And the rant, the, the crux of the rant was my white family and all of the white community that I'd always had, my friends and everything. No one had reached out to me once during all of this violence against folks that look like me. And I was pissed off about it. Um, about five days later, my mom texted me when I was at work and she said two things. She said, I am sorry that we raised you in a colorblind household. And she goes, I also want you to know that I understand now that I'll never understand what it's like to not be white. And that was the first moment that we really started to heal our relationship. I've left work bawling. I'm like super emotional, but like I was crying at my desk. I'm like, I gotta leave work. I cannot be here anymore. Um, but it was a good moment of healing for us. Um, that was really early on in the life of the show. So about three months ago, um, we were walking to lunch and we were talking about something just random. And she stops me and she goes, hey, I was listening to the show the other day and you sound like you were starting to say something about us or me or something and you stopped and I was like I'm not really sure what it was and I was like I don't think so and she goes well I don't want you to do that she goes you know the things that you might say or have to say might be really hard for me to hear but I need to hear them and so like that was really powerful for me because I'm like okay this is like proof positive that she's like learning and growing too and it's also an affirmation that she's also going on this journey of her own and this is a journey that I don't understand you know, and that I also have to be empathetic to because I've also, through the show, learned a lot about adoptive families that don't go on these journeys, that don't learn. You know, and I've, I have to recognize the privilege that I carry that my, at least my adoptive mom is willing to take these steps and is trying. You know, even if we have hard conversations, even if it's difficult, she's trying to do it. And I have only the show to thank for that. Because without the show, I don't know if this th any of this is happening. So all of that to say, she does listen to every episode. <laughs> and uh, my dad is a completely different story. We have a good relationship, but I don't know if that work is that internal work is being done. And I, I can't say we haven't had that kind of conversation. My mom has also apologized to me as well. And one of the things that when we started the show, that was never my intention was to make my parents feel guilty. And it was something that I wanted to discuss with them before I started it as like, these are my feelings. Uh, we're talking, you know, to other guests, we're getting their stories and their voices. But at no point, I wanted them to feel bad about the things that I was saying, because I wasn't directing. Uh, I don't know, I wasn't directing stuff directly at them, directing stuff directly at them. That was good, right? Uh, <laughs> I wasn't trying to make them feel bad. And so she apologized, though, because of the things that she's been learning. And just by listening to the show, she's learned certain things and things that she feels a little bit guilty about or regret about not doing and not, um, you know, not looking for more resources for me or opening up, um, you know, their, you know, 
uh, the options to go to a camp or something like that that she's heard other adoptees have gone to and things like that. And I told her that I mean, it was a different time. You had it, you, it was the systematic, uh, you know, broken systematic, you know, learning that they gave you. They didn't give you much information. They didn't give you follow-ups. And so you, you, know, you did the best you could with what you were given. And so I try to make my parents feel that they have done the best job that they have done. Um, and uh, yeah, it, pretty much it. Yeah. Do we have any submitted questions? Yeah. So, well, this one, I guess one would be for me as well. Um, <laughs> nice. Oh, pick your own questions. Wow. Talk more, David. When did you introduce your adoption to your children and what types of conversations have you had, uh, have you developed with them? Um, how many kids good, do you that's have a good question. how old are they? I have three kids, three, five, and seven. Um, so they're all little and uh, crazy, running around. Uh, you know, they're great, though. So my seven-year-old is probably the only one who really understands uh, more about what adoption is. And, and they know. I mean, they know m my parents. And so they ask, why does Nana and Papa not look like why do you not look like Nana and Papa and things like that and they they ask a lot of questions they know that I go to events like this and con and so they ask well, you know where, where where are you going and the fact that I'm recording every week for the show um, so I've, I've told him as much as I can about it and about what adoption is and it really wasn't until last week he did say something uh, to my wife actually that that when she told me this it, it really hit me in the heart a little bit but we were talking about um, you know me going off to to LA and uh, why I was adopted is, is essentially was his question. And so she went into, which I have, no, I know the, the uh, narrative because I have met my um, biological siblings and they were telling me that it was a financial uh, decision at the time. And so we were talking to, uh, she was telling that to my son and he said, a financial thing. So he was, you were adopted because the family couldn't you know, afford to keep me. And, they, and he, he just started getting sad and he goes, does that mean I could someday be adopted? You know, and, and that, like, there, I was like, oh, man, like, uh, no, we're, we're good. <laughs> we call but, dibs. Yeah, I know. Dad sold candy in middle school <laughs> to make sure this wouldn't happen. <laughs> but but the fact that he that he made that connection, that he actually could think that, is, and so we're still learning. We're still learning how to discuss it with him and how to make him feel that, that no, this is not going to happen to you. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we have some books too. There's some kids books that we've been, um, you know, reading to them and to, to my other kids. So, yeah. Okay. So. All right. <laughs> Next question. All right. We're going to keep going. Quick, we got more questions. Vibe check. Everybody still vibing with us? We feeling good? Everybody good? All right. Nods in the yeah. back. Thank you, people in the back. Okay. Do we have any more There's questions? There's processing happening yes, too. Right oh, yeah. Do questions? you have a in-person Oh, we have to go to one of Great. these? Okay. We'll go to this one. Do you also get angry when you type adoptee into any device and it's not recognized as a real word? Ooh. Oh, that's a great question. Wow. Um, I think my cop-out answer is no. I didn't know that it wasn't a real word, but I use a different, I use a third-party keyboard, so I just learned. So I don't have to deal with it. It's an autofill for me. So just, you know, use a third-party keyword. There. That's a great question. Give your I feel like I've typed it in so much in the last three years that mine also just, I like, maybe yeah. a setting at one point, I just like, yeah, this is the word I'm going to continue to but type. But damn, though. Like, don't correct me on it. Yeah. That's super yeah. annoying. Yeah. Does everybody, who all has that experience with typing that word in? You just get autocorrected immediately? Autocorrected. Okay. Oh, all right. Okay. All right. It happens. All right. Wow. Ugh. I would make, that would also make me very angry if that, yeah. I, Honestly, I haven't thought about it. Now I'm going to be thinking about what I go <laughs> Now my I'm phone. angry. I'm about to Hulk out. Next time that happens, I'm throwing my phone. <laughs> uh, no, here no, we go. Cool. 
before I accepted myself, I feel I used to use my adoption and racism to self-sabotage by using it as an excuse to push others away or to blame everything on adoption. Do you feel similar? So for me, um, I don't think I did that because I have a, a visible physical disability. And so most of the jokes that I was making was being like, ah, my hand. I don't know. Uh, it, I mean, it was like usually about that funny, but delivered better. I don't know. Uh, so for me, I think that was always my, because I have my hand the way it is and my parents like that was like a, it was a special needs adoption, I guess. Uh, like that was a, a more top of mind consideration. And so all of the resilience that my parents taught me went into be resilient with your disability. Don't let anything hold you back. If you want to play piano or you want to play guitar, or you want to play any sport, like we'll find however, I mean, whatever, like you can do anything. Like the world is yours. And so, and I'm forever grateful for that level of resilience. It has been on me to translate that to other aspects of my life, not just related to disability. But um, yeah, so I think that I had the buffer of like, well, you have this more like physical thing that we can see and we understand uh, that I could fall back on. And usually that was like, I, that was maybe the lower hanging fruit. I would feel like, I just feel like bullies always go for the lowest hanging fruit. So maybe that was the lower hanging fruit of like, ah, oh, your hand is weird. And I usually just preempted that with like, yeah, my hand is weird. Sup? So yeah. So no is my answer, but also cop out. Yeah. I feel like I was always, you know, just contented in my adoption story. I never thought about it. So I never used that as self-sabotage. Racism again is, it's an interesting one because I so deeply rejected my identity. I just saw myself as white. Like I was definitely being very self-racist. So I was had a lot of internalized racism and I don't know if I was using it as self-sabotage, but I was just like, I was just making all those jokes first. And it was like, it wasn't self-sabotage. It was survival. So it was like, this is, I think I just, unconsciously recognized really early that this was the only way like when the in first grade when I went to school and a kid ran up to me and goes can you see and pulled his eyes back at me and I think I just realized in that moment that I had to either make those jokes myself or continue to have them made at me and so I just really leaned into it and would just and I don't know it just felt like survival I guess and then at a, at a certain point it went from survival to just like this is who I am and like I hated myself, but I didn't feel like I was sabotaging myself. So maybe that is self-sabotage in a way. <laughs> is like, like internalizing racism so much that you just reject all these pieces of yourself. And I guess that is actually, okay, that is I, literally yeah, the definition I, of self-sabotage. I love that your answer is... We're processing right now, people. I'm processing right now. Your answer is... I know. Literally. Wait, I, I just figured out the definition. Yes. I okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, revising my answer. Yes, I totally self-sabotage with racism. Um, yeah, like... Like, that was the reason I rejected my identity was because, like, I, I had to. I felt like I had to in order to make it. And, again, we talk about language. Like, I didn't have the language to articulate to anyone what I was going through. And when I would go to adults and be like, this person said this to me, they would say, well, they didn't mean it that way. Or, you know, you're being overly sensitive or you just need to get over it. And so, like, oh, okay, well, I guess I, I'm the problem. So I'll just get over it. So, yes, self-sabotage. I did the same. I always made jokes to, to defend myself or try to cope with whatever racism was being directed at me. So it was always just a, you know, let me let me make the joke myself. And I did. I, I, I feel bad that I learned, like, Asian jokes and, and I, that I told them as a kid. 
And, and it's just one of those things that, I don't know, I was trying to survive. I was trying to fit in. And, and it's just one of the parts of, you know, when you think about your past, you go, gosh, I wish I had more language. I wish I had more awareness. Um, and the only thing you can do is move on and learn. So, um, good question. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for helping me process. Do we have an, uh, yeah. He just learned something tonight. Question over oh, here. We have a question over here. So this is actually a follow-up. So thank you. Um, so some of these behaviors that we do that are, are harmful to our own selves, is it self-sabotage if we're put in a place of survival? Ooh, great follow-up. I mean, I just processed and said it was, so now you're making me process and question <laughs> that piece of myself that I just that I just figured out. I mean, I feel like, yes, it's self-sabotage, but, like, it's maybe justified, maybe it's forgivable, maybe it's, you know, but, like, I don't know. I mean, if you were... I, I really I really don't have any... Maybe I do. Maybe I'm about to find out I have a ton of experience with this, but I don't think I have a ton of experience with this. So, I guess in a, in a very physical like sense, like if I had to do something to myself to stay alive, then I'd be like, yeah, it wouldn't be great if I had to like punch myself in the leg every day to feel like, oh yeah, I just have to do it, otherwise something bad is gonna happen, right? But like, so like, yeah, I would de define that as like I'm self-sabotage, self-harm, but like, I, I guess you just have to, but it, it doesn't, I would still, so I would still classify it like that, but it makes it more uh, understandable. There's a lot more grace, I think, if you realize that there is, a systemic reason that you have to do that that like we don't it it shouldn't be like we live in it's 2023 like no one should be fighting for survival right the world doesn't need to be the way that it is but it is the way that it is and so like i mean you do what you do to survive but i think like the other part of it too is like all right so am i on the other side of it can i talk about it can i share so that maybe someone down the line like i could become the ancestor that helped some young person not have to do with that anymore not have to deal with that in the first place yeah i think that's pretty good i was gonna say yeah i think self-sabotage <laughs> i think self-sabotage it's self-sabotage as survival because of the systemic issues that made us adoptees and put us in these situations in the first place which is the problem with adoption because we are always asking the question of what is adoption like what is adoption we're never asking why is adoption and we don't ask the underlying question of why is somebody put in a position that they have to give away their child in the first place and then when we ask that we have to address the systemic issues that exist that cause people to have to make that impossible choice and so like that to that that leads us to have to self-sabotage in order to survive because of all of that underlying context so yeah i think it is i think it's both both and also uh we're not experts and i'm oh, yeah. very dumb so you know take that for what you will yeah yeah you, you clearly saw me be dumb up here so <laughs> you never thank yourself. you for that follow-up question yeah so this is a good question. We've had this uh, on the show before. Uh, so I have a sibling who was adopted as well, and he's very early in his journey exploring, apprehensive about his ethnic identity. What have has helped you become more comfortable exploring your identity? For me, you know what? Actually, when I when I listened to Jason talk, and he was talking about um, Asian American B and opt-in identity, which is a thing that I have believed now for a couple of years and, and have tried to live out, I put together, like this is my first time sitting in a room of adoptees where it's not just like a John T. Life show, like, like you're the biggest crowd I've ever been in, which is really powerful and really cool. Um, and I realized listening to him talk about Asian American being an opt-in identity and the imposter syndrome that so many of us have felt and be like, oh, I'm not 
Asian enough. I'm not Korean or Chinese or whatever enough. I'm not, right, because of the fact of our adoption or, or other things. Um, and I realized that, like, in some, some ways, systemically, understandably, maybe this is the self-sabotage, uh, like, we are our own gatekeepers. Like, we just have to accept ourselves as Asian American. And then, I mean, it's unfortunate, but such is life, that we then also have to do the emotional labor to help the broader Asian American community remember that we out here, we trying to live, we're just as Asian as you, get over it. In some ways, maybe we're more Asian than you if you want to really get down to it. Like, I did the DNA test, what's up? Uh, but, that, like, the point is, I think that there are a lot of things in our brains, right? Just a lot of blocks. And, and uh, one of the, the reasons I think that we do the food on the show, um, one of the reasons that we, like for a while we just went through a book called the Korean Culture Dictionary, was we were just trying to figure out like, do we explore things? Do we eat things? Do we listen to things that make us feel whatever? But I think at the heart of it, it can be deeply personal. You just have to figure out like what's, What's the padlock on the door to my accepting myself? And that's going to look so different for so many people. Um, and there's, there's lots of avenues. It could be food. It could be language. It could be friends or relation, like uh, dating relationships, whatever it is, right? And I think that that's a, an ongoing journey just to be ultimately a better human. Um, but I think in terms of accepting yourself as an identity, sometimes, honestly, sometimes you just got to go for it and like literally fake it till you make it if you feel that you're in safe spaces often enough to do that. Like even for um, adoptees in an, in an Asian American space, in an adopted Asian American space, you might be like, I don't know, it's like a lot of Asian faces and I don't know how I feel about being, you know, all that kind of stuff. But like this, I mean, for adoptees is often, I've heard like the safest space to like try out being Asian American and like feel good about it, you know? <laughs> like like we, we do this kind of code switch. We're like, oh, this is this is nice. Everybody gets me. Wow. You know, and I think but being in those spaces, you just gotta you gotta be brave. And you gotta just take take that confidence, that acceptance, that love that you feel from the communities, from the safe spaces, and just kinda go for it. Uh, and I think that those are I mean for me, that's that's how I've how I've gotten comfortable with, with lots of different identities. And I've learned to be okay with being wrong sometimes and be like, all right, I was wrong. And learn from it, get back on the horse and try again. I don't have anything to add. That was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, in we're coming up on time, so we got some other questions. Last question? Yeah. Similar to that question is just what parts of Korean culture have you grown to identify with? I mean, Han. <laughs> deeply, deeply, the feeling of Han. And I guess we just talked about this, like, there was an episode of K Pod where they talked about. Episode oh, we talked about this off from, air. Yeah, yeah, from uh, Korean American Story, I believe. Puts out this. Uh, who, anyways, there's a there's, a there's another there's a Korean American podcast that came out about language, and they talked about Han being sometimes maybe overused in the wrong way to identify too much with Korean culture. And I think like we've talked about it a lot. Barbecue actually in Burbank named Han. Oh, we made the joke that you know you go and you cry over the barbecue. That's because, how you get like, that mommy flavor. Feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's but, good. I've I've heard it's good. I've not obviously tried it, but I mean for me like. I I find even now I'm having a lot of trouble really connecting with culture with Korean anything like I can't learn the language I've learned scientifically that it's really almost impossible for me to learn it anyways which is fine um, Hangul which I should be able to learn to do has been extremely difficult for me as well um, and as much as we've been exploring culture literally did a book called the Korean Culture Dictionary for multiple months I feel like 
being able to retain that has been really difficult for me as well. I don't know what the block is. Maybe it's just laziness, but at the, what? I doubt it. But at the end of the day, like it's been really difficult for me. The one thing that I feel like I've always felt very connected and it's what made me feel very Korean is Han. And the reason for that is because the best definition I've ever heard for the feeling for Han, which is the Korean concept of feeling very deeply, I guess, um, is how I'm going to describe it. Like you feel very deeply, like, like a lot deep, of anger, like, deep emotion. Yeah, anger, um, loss, grief, yeah. sadness. So yeah, it's like that. And I've always been a very emotional person, like maybe not emotionally intelligent, but experienced a lot of emotion. And the best definition I ever heard for Han was uh, by a professor named Michael Shin, and he described he defined Han as a loss of identity, because the country of Korea is literally split in two. It's been divided, it's been conquered, and it's been like that for a really long time. And we've grown up, all of us here, and all of our ancestors have grown up with and, and experienced that intergenerational trauma. That loss, the country we come from is at a loss of identity right now, has lost their identity. So why would we not all have that same loss of identity? So that's the biggest part of me, or the biggest part of the culture that I've connected with, because that's how I felt my entire life is I, I rejected, not only did I reject it, I felt like I lost that piece of me. So, not to be sad about it, but that's, that's what it's what been we're for here me. for. Is it? We're here for your story. Okay. Our stories. I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll just say one thing. I, I'll change that question a little bit for me. It's <laughs> the Korean culture. I'm going to say the Korean adoptee culture because the thing that Ooh. I identify with most is the community. The community, this. I mean, seeing everyone here, the con community, the adopted community in my hometown, that for me is what I've been identifying with and really attaching with because it brings me uh, just closer to the to that community that I feel that I'm definitely a part of and that that gives me a lot of meaning and uh, and and love. So, love you, bro. Yeah, um, I think more. for me, I so like I said. Uh, I was raised to celebrate my ethnic Koreanness, so that was like not necessarily hard for me, but uh, I definitely felt that sense of imposter syndrome in terms of like being in a room of Koreans or Korean Americans, whatever. Honestly, like coming out to LA, like if I'm in certain crowds, maybe I don't feel great about myself. I don't know. Uh, but like, can we just speak Spanish? That's easier for me. Like, we, we get that. If we're going to speak a different language. Um, but uh, I think the, the big turning point for me in terms of like accepting myself as not even like Korean enough, just like as my current iteration of Korean American is I am not that different from a third or fourth generation Korean American. Uh, and I was like, oh, well, I mean, I guess like how we got here is different, but at the end of the day, I might as well just, I just skipped a couple generations. I'm like, I'm ahead of you. It's fine. <laughs> you know? Uh, <laughs> and I think that just made me, that made me cool with not knowing again. That made me cool with like, like I can learn things and can and try to connect and and whatever, but like at the end of the day, I'm not gonna know everything. But I'm I'm okay with that because like ultimately, like like we talked about, like there's 170 plus years of Asian American history, and Koreans are often at the center of that. Um, and so you're just like, all right, well, I'm just a long-term Korean American, and maybe that means I'm a little bit distantly removed from the peninsula. But that's kind of what it means to be American too, right? Is just to be like you were. I guess you could trace your family roots back to Germany, but like, how German are you really? You know, and it's like, uh, it's fine. At the end of the day, this is my expression of being American and my expression of being Korean. And everybody's just going to be okay with that because I'm okay with it. So get over it. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> just end with the get over it. 
Okay. Uh, okay. Do, you do, you do you want to do plugs and stuff? Where, where can people find us? Should we do plugs? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Uh, okay. You want me to do it? You have a big yeah, screen yeah. Okay. Here. All right. Well, if you've enjoyed this, you can follow us and learn more about us on all the social media platforms at John Chi Show. If you want to reach out to us directly, you can do so on e- via email, uh, Show at gmail.com. We also love voicemails, and we have a voicemail inbox that you can leave us a voicemail at so we can play it on the show. It's really, really fun. We've done it like three times, so we, we want to do it a lot more. We have one we keep not getting. <laughs> to. Uh, that phone number is 972-677-8867. Hey! Um, if you really liked the show and you've been listening to the show, we really appreciate it if you could leave us a rating or review on whatever podcast player you listen to this on. Um, 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 oh, if you want to support the show as well, you can go to our website, johncheeshow.com. We have a store. We have merch. Just yeah, like AKS. So. We have yeah. stuff. Somebody asked about all sticker. We have stickers. Everybody. We have stickers. Everybody gets a sticker. If you do not get a sticker, leave me your information. I will mail you a sticker. We have <laughs> stickers. We will mail you the like, stickers. Please get these out of my garage. Um, I brought every sticker I own, so I'm hoping it's enough. Please take our stickers. Yeah. We've been trying to get rid of these things forever. Um, I think that's it. If you want to follow me directly, you can do so at Patrick in the World, wherever I want to be found on the internet. I am. At KJ Relke, uh online wherever I want to be found. I am N Nowak on Instagram and Nathan Nowak on Facebook. Probably one of the last ones on Facebook. So <laughs> you can Hilarious. find me there. Okay. All right. Well, we but really appreciate it. Really I want quick. Everyone to see. Okay. Yeah. Before we finish it out, um, I do just want to quickly shout out Emily uh, and everybody here on the team at AKS for bringing us out. Thank really, you, really appreciate you, you. you all for setting up this event, for doing this for multiple years now, and it's a big honor for us to be able to do our live show here again. So, in LA, to be a part of this event, to be a part of this community, shout out Eric Kemp for being the person that suggested us. Yeah. Great MC for us. Great intro. Um, so, at the end of every show, we say John G. Heyo. So, we would like you all to join us in that. So, until next time, for anybody listening to this after the fact, John G. Heyo! Thank you so much.